Con Radio, presented by Wizard World. Radio for geeks. You're listening to the Candare Podcast, your sidekick in the quest for knowledge, power, and entertainment. So strap yourselves in and prepare for victory! And welcome to another episode of Candare, a tribute to comics and pop culture right here on Wizard World's Con Radio. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Jake Runyon. And joining us today from the comic Earth Alliance, which the second issue was just successfully funded on Kickstarter, we have Raymond Fields with us today. Thanks so much for being with us, Raymond. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. We've got a good show lined up for you. We're going to be talking Star Trek in the Retro Roundtable today. Uh, you guys are going to have to help me out with that a little bit. I, I know some Star Trek, but uh, I'm not an aficionado by any means. Star Trek, Alien, you're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> then we're going to talk about some comic books, and then we'll turn our attention over to Raymond and talk about Earth Alliance. So, let's get right into it with this week's Retro Roundtable. Proceed with the countdown. <laughs> Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! All right, Star Trek guys, where to even begin? Where, where's a good place to start? Are, you're a big Star Trek fan, right, Raymond? Yeah, big. Uh, ever since I was a kid, it's been one of my favorite pastimes. Quite frankly, is is watching Star Trek, all things Star Trek. So yeah, big fan. Would you consider yourself a Trekkie or a Trekker? A Trekkie. You know, I really don't know what the difference is, really. I'm sure there's either. some definition out there. But, there uh, was a while back. Trekker was kind of one that watches the episodes, watches the shows, and doesn't really... It's not the diehard fan. The Trekkie is like, they know everything about... Some breeds yeah, breeds right. of devotion. Right. Yeah, I'm a guy that used to go to Star Trek conventions, so I guess they would call me a Trekkie. <laughs> do you know Klingon? That. No, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good test right there. <laughs> if you want to become a third-degree Trekkie and earn your black belt, then you've got to know at least yeah. conversational Klingon. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, so I guess I have a long way to go still. So what would you say your uh, favorite series is, then, of Star Trek? My favorite series is the original series. Nice. Uh, follow closely followed closely by Deep Space Nine. Huge fan of Deep Space Nine. Really? That was always my favorite, but now I'm kind of floating between that and Voyager since I got made to watch that for because I hated Voyager. I couldn't stand that captain at all. Was that which uh, one had the captain who was uh, Quantum Leap? Uh, that was uh, Enterprise. That, that, that was, was Enterprise. Enterprise. Yeah, Scott okay. Bakula, Captain Archer. Yeah, the Archer. objectively better series, you guys. I mean, come on, <laughs> it had everything. <laughs> It no. took a while for me to catch on to Enterprise, um, but I'm a diehard, like I said, diehard original series fan in Deep Space Nine. Um, and then I would say followed by Next Generation. Again, it took me a while to really catch on to Voyager and Enterprise. Enterprise did get better, though, because I know we got, my wife and I got to the first two episodes, and it was it was really hard to keep going. I'm also a fan of 24, so when I think Enterprise, I think season three turned into 24 uh, with the whole Zendi arc. Uh, and I think that for me got interesting. It wasn't quite Star Trek in hmm. a sense, but it, it, it added a lot more action uh, and really had a lot more interesting storytelling. I think and I think that was season three with the Zendi art uh, kind of hooked me on Enterprise. Did it make it that many? I thought it was only went to one season. 
I don't know. I think it went to four. It went to four, oh, I believe. Oh, wow. Shoot. I didn't know that. You got a lot of catching yeah. up to do. Yeah, yeah. but you have to get enough credit, I guess. Yeah, I, I'd say I probably had most exposure to the original series and Next Generation. I, Next Generation was big when I was in high school. I shouldn't say big. <laughs> Secretly big above, amongst a few of us. But, uh, yeah, we had a couple action figures from Next Generation. And it's funny because after Next Generation, I kind of tuned out of the television shows. And years later, one day, I made myself lunch. And I sit down on the couch on Saturday. I'm flipping through TV, and I see Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And I just stopped there for a second. And, the, again, the only time I've ever seen the show, in those few seconds, there's the uh, Enterprise from Next Generation. Just gets blown completely up. I'm like, <laughs> man, what have I missed here? Oh, I think that was the, uh, the Borg uh, arc, I, I do believe. Mm, man, the Borg. Now that was fun to watch. Some really cool costume design. I always yeah. like the way they look. I mean, it wasn't high concept stuff. It was pretty much, oh, they're cyborgs, right? So just stuff them with wires everywhere. But it looked really cool. <laughs> yeah. That was the best part yeah. about Voyager was the the whole Borg storyline. Yeah. That's really? what, yeah, that that probably for they were probably one of the best villains ever, I think. So right up there, yeah. They kept reoccurring throughout the series. I guess that's yeah. yeah. I guess that should be. I think they're. I think they're in every iteration of Star Trek, uh, obviously with the exception of the original series. Right. They actually made it on Enterprise as well. Did they really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely have to go check that out. Then I think There's something very creepy about the fact that their ships are just cubes. Yeah, yeah for sure. That really freaked right. me out. That would be cool to see what the original series take on the Borg would be. You know, pretty mm-hmm. low budget, I'd imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Very similar to what I guess the Enterprise crew, the Star Trek Enterprise crew went through. It was very low budget, but of course they found a way out of it. They always right. do, right? And now there's yeah, a new exactly. series coming to ABC, right? Is there really? Yeah, it's coming to CBS All Access. It's going to be online on their streaming, and they're just really trying to use that to build their streaming streaming subscriptions. And uh, they really got some great people running that show. They actually brought back Nick Meyer. Gene Roddenberry's son is actually going to be one of the oh, executive wow. producers of the right. show. And Alex Kurtzman is going to be the, the I think he's going to be the primary executive producer of it. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about that one. I'm definitely going to get a subscription to CBS All Access once it launches. Now, have you watched any of the uh, like Star Trek Continues, like the crowd-funded show that's online? You know, I have not. Um, probably at some point I'll, I'll sit down and, and take a look at some of that stuff, but I really haven't uh, watched any of it from start to finish. I still kind of you know get my feel from watching reruns of the old stuff. I could watch the first series over and over. It's great, like, background entertainment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? I like having it on when I'm doing other things. It's comforting, I guess. And the movies are good, too. Oh, I man. love watching the movies. So. I think the first one was, like, the first time I watched it, I thought it was a little tedious, the first Star Trek motion picture. Because I bigger, felt yeah. like it wanted to be, you know, 2001, a space odyssey. Like, yeah. they were going for that very Kubrickian feel. But the more I watch it, I think there, there's so many interesting concepts and seeing those familiar characters translated to the big feature-length setting, there's right. something special about that either yeah. way. The uniforms didn't work very well. <laughs> big white no. unitards. That was Roddenberry sort of, you know, his his vision of Star Trek didn't necessarily have to have a lot of guns blazing and action. He wanted, you know, people pontificating, speaking, you know, uh, science and, 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 and about space exploration, so about the human condition. Uh, which that one, quite frankly, is one of my favorite of the movies. I really enjoyed uh, the original motion picture. Which one did Kirk have a perm? <laughs> Wasn't there one I he had a perm? He, he had a perm, I think, in 
two through six, I think, really. Or two I think it was. Oh, wow, yeah. all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. After one, he sort of got this, yeah. Pulled it off. Well, well I can see why they went with uh, Leonard Nimoy to make the cameo in the new one rather than <laughs> <laughs> No more perms. That's what Khan does to you. <laughs> so <laughs> being a Star Trek fan, because when they made the, uh, when was it, like uh, 2008, eight nine that they remade the franchise with uh, oh, What's-His-Face? Re- uh, Chris Pine. Yes. Mm. Yeah. There were a lot of people that were upset by that. What were your feelings on the making of that movie and, like, the way they restarted the storyline? You know, I'm not into Hollywood, but I, I know how difficult it would have been to do a prequel uh, with the way the Star Trek setting was. So I understood that they had to create, like, this, this whole new universe, this alternative universe, so to speak. I was fine with the first movie. I thought that J.J. cast some remarkable actors to sort of step into those roles, both physically and in stylist in terms of acting. So I was very happy with 2009's version. Very disappointed in, in uh, Into Darkness, though. It was very disappointing. Really? Um, See, I, yeah. I often felt the other way about it. I thought the first one was cool. It was watchable. I thought Into Darkness was a little stronger. I could be biased because I like what what Cumberbatch did for Khan, even though it was so far removed from any concept yeah. of what should have been Khan. I still thought he was an interesting character. Yeah, I think somebody did a poll at the at the annual Star Trek convention in Vegas, and I think that movie was by by real Trekkies now, not Trekkers. <laughs> of course, right? Uh, the highest uh, tier. They rated. I think they rated that movie last after what was that movie with um, Tim Allen? Uh, Galaxy Quest. Oh, I love Galaxy. Yeah. They actually rated pretend. that. They actually rated that movie in the darkness after Galaxy Quest. That's how bad folks thought it was. Wow. Well, I tell you and what, I after think, this new one comes out, it'll replace it oh at the bottom, boy. I think. Yeah. I am not confident in no. where that one's going. The no. Talon, quote unquote, behind it. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously, I'm being cautious. I'm not going to really have an opinion until I see the next trailer. And hopefully the next trailer mm-hmm. has more detail and give us, uh, you know, more of a direction in terms of how the story is going to go. Because what they, what they, the first trailer... I thought it was awful. Oh, I, I hate <laughs> it, it too. Bad. It's just action. I mean, this one, the other two, you can level this accusation against them. This one's very much just like an action movie. Yeah, yeah it abandons sure. that Roddenberry vision of keeping the politics, the exploration, things like that. Well, well, the director like was funny from lines uh, too in the trailer. Like, well, at least uh, I'm not going to die alone. And well, that's spot. just typical. Yeah, <laughs> come yeah. on. Yeah. The director did uh, what Fast and the Furious yeah. too. Ooh, yeah, what yeah. a great transition. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think Paramount was on record as saying that they wanted something more closer to Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow! You, you can you can look that up online and find an interview or some excerpt from one of their executives that said that they wonder why because they I mean obviously they want Star Trek to do over a billion dollars and I don't think Star Trek is built to do a billion dollars. It's not no. Star Wars. It's not no. Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, five hundred million dollars at the box office is actually a pretty good run. For Star Trek, it's just not made to do a billion dollars at the bottom. It doesn't have that kind of appeal. It's from always a been a niche interest. It's been hard yeah. science, science yeah. fiction exactly. instead of science fantasy. Exactly, most plausible. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think where Star Trek goes wrong is, and, and this is the case, is why I think people subconsciously don't like In the Darkness. The real allure of Star Trek is the positive view of humanity, and when we see our humans, in the case of the Admiral and In the Darkness. I mean, think about that. When have you ever seen an admiral in Star Trek 
want to commit murder on a, on a on a grand scale like blowing up the enterprise I mean, that's a good right. point yeah. they've got this it's... very clean post-scarcity civilization where yeah. it's very calm equal peaceful and then that movie and was so predictable too Mm-hmm. It, was. Formulaic. it was. Yeah. I would love to see uh, the thing that I. It's never going to happen. But my favorite thing that, that like genuinely scared me in the original series was uh, that doomsday engine, that big conical horror they found in deep space, devouring planets and moons yeah. and things. That thing horrified me. When I was younger, I couldn't get the idea out of my head that that damn thing was somewhere out in space <laughs> on a crash course for Earth. I'd love to see a like a big budget. Um, What's the word? Adaptation of that kind of. This was ending. from the original series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't remember that. It was called that. Doomsday Machine, and I think that I think Matt Decker, William Wyndon played that character. Uh, Captain Matt Decker was, I mean, it was one of the best performances in all of Star Trek. And when he was going inside the the Doomsday Machine, his face and, and the horror that he had on his face, I thought was was brilliant. So every time I go back and watch that episode, and I do quite often. I'm always taken by his performance. You feel um, it. He makes you feel it. Exactly. Exactly. Man, I've got to watch it now. <laughs> that's, that's, that's on my YouTube favorite. at yeah, all. Absolutely. Ever it's watched very the, eerie. Ever watched the uh, Star Trek cartoon? No. no it's on Netflix. Is it really? Of yeah. the original yeah. series cartoon? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's all voiced by the, the whole cast and everything. Oh, cool. And then how long was that? Maybe just like a season? Uh, I want to say it was like a season, yeah. yeah. I, I think it was after the series has ended, had ended. Right. I think it's, it's like thirteen. I think it's like thirteen or sixteen episodes, something like that. Yeah. And is, it, is it good? It's Star Trek. The, 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 <laughs> the only bad part is it's the real uh, remember Johnny Quest. The animation is really close oh, to that where there's okay. like so a like TV funhouse kind of animation. Yeah, yeah like the, <laughs> an arm would move. Really, the only real good animation is like when they're all running, but then it's just a silhouette of people running. Oh, like Scooby Doo kind of yeah thing. Got that uh, speed racer <laughs> camp of animation where it's just, <laughs> we use as many static images as we can possibly cram into yeah. right, right. It was pretty cool because we were, I watched one episode and there was a, it was a time travel episode and they found this big like circle shaped rock that was conscious and it would let them go through time. And so many conscious rocks they run into throughout yeah. their travels. <laughs> Every other inanimate thing has like a world of secrets inside right. of Star Trek. And then the other day when I was watching it is when they actually came upon that rock. And they and everything had, the time had changed because McCoy jumped through the, the hole and all of a sudden they're like, oh, the Enterprise is gone. We're stuck in a like this little time bubble where nothing existed. It was pretty neat how it went back yeah. to the, the cartoon went back to that, that episode. Huh, that's pretty neat. Yeah, City on the Edge of Forever. Was that what it was? Well, that was the original series episode where he went back in time. He jumped through the portal. Uh, that I think that is the original series episode, City on the Edge of Forever, is sort of universally known, I think, as the best episode ever. And certainly one of the top in all of Star Trek. Oh, you know your track. <laughs> <laughs> one thing Been that watching I'm, a long time. <laughs> one thing I've never understood uh, that Star Trek couldn't really get right and maybe they have and i just wasn't aware of it but was a uh, like a game a good game i mean i know there's like command and conquer kind of things on ios now and i think there have been a few computer games but i don't know it just seems like a platform that would be uh easy to make a game with. i tell you what and this is this is something i saw that really excited me it's not star trek because i don't think they could get the rights for it but there's this game called i think it's Artemis or Achilles or some deific name that starts with an A. 
it's for up to five players. Each one sees a different game, quote unquote, when they're playing. You've got a captain who gives orders to the other players. One is like weapons, engines, you've got a science officer, you've got head of personnel, and you're all controlling different aspects of this ship. Very much like a like a Star Trek, you know, command room bridge mm-hmm. simulator, and you encounter different aliens, diplomatic missions, combat scenarios, stuff like that. So you're still right. They Star Trek couldn't get it right, but somebody had that idea and they ran with it. What uh, was this a computer game? Yeah, I take yeah. it. How long ago did this come out? I don't know. I think it's been out for. It's either. I think there's, like, some beta version that's been out for some time, but they haven't got, like, a sellable model up hmm. yet. I'm going to have to look into that more, because I only read a little bit about it. I remember uh, back before Xbox Live on me and a bunch of people would put together LAN parties, there was this group of guys that would play what I think was a Battlestar Galactica game. Does that no. sound right? Like a uh, space, like, flying right, shooting right, yeah. game. But this was very, very technical. Like, these guys had to really... Uh, concentrate to control the ship and um it was like real-time kind of space like in star wars games where you fly around in space if you get turned over like you still your ship still corrects itself right yeah forward like there's a center of gravity no center of gravity you've got the full three yes and it it was intense i just i never played it i just stood over their shoulder and watched them and it looked cool and i thought why hasn't star trek done this yeah you'd think so Kind of like uh, like free space or like Wing Commander games to that effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. There was a cool. PlayStation Two game that followed was the story of the next generation. The game the graphics were horrible. The game was very glitchy, but I pushed through and played it. It was actually pretty fun. Now, was, was that cool? was that were you ever on foot in that game, or was it just? I want to say it was first person. Okay, that's either I think board. Elite Force. That might have been it. And then there was another one called Invasion, where it was just space battles. But that was cool. You'd have, like, Romulan capital ships coming up against Borg. I don't know if they ever met in the show, but I had a lot of fun with that. That might have been the first PlayStation, though. But now I'm Mm. rambling. What about you, Raymond? Any games you know of that are good? You know, I've never played, really dabbled in Star Trek games. Um, You know, my my son has all the PlayStations and Xboxes and all that stuff, and... uh, (laughs) He play. He probably plays a lot of that stuff. I know he was playing Star Wars uh, around Christmas time. We got him that. But no, I've never really dabbled in the video games in Star Trek. Hmm. But well, I did play a lot of Command and Conquer. I was actually oh, quite addicted yeah. to that game. I love me some Command and yeah. Conquer. Those yeah. are great games. Any game yeah. with that same kind of. Oh yeah. Now I have concept. to ask, and this is going to affect the quality of this interview. So take the question seriously. GDI or Brotherhood of Nod? GDI for sure. Oh, good man. I'm glad we're on the same side. Here. Yeah, yeah. You can't pass up that pay. ion cannon. No, no. no. Uh, couldn't, couldn't stand being in the Brotherhood. What's your uh, favorite Star Trek-based ships? Oh, good question. Obviously the Enterprise, the original series Enterprise. Oh, yeah. And then I liked the Defiant. Love the Defiant. And that was a tough ship. It was a tough ship. And, Doesn't it have um, that very sleek hull? Everything's kind of... Yeah, it was Deep Space Nine. It was like... Right, oh, right, okay. right. I remember yeah. that ship. That thing yeah. was bad. Yeah, it was. And then, I, you know what was funny? I, I liked the uh, runabouts for some reason. Uh, don't don't ask me why. But I thought that was kind of a cool concept. Uh, not a shuttlecraft, something in between a shuttlecraft and like a, a ship. Mm, yeah. But if, I had, but if I had to say my favorite, it, w- it would obviously be Kirk's original ship uh, from the old 60s series. I just have a great affinity for that, for that oh, ship. Oh, yeah. 
a flying pizza cutter. You know, <laughs> it's such an iconic shape, though. Yeah, it just, it I think uh, thinkgeek.com did make a pizza cutter. Yeah, they, oh, yeah. Of course, yeah. they did. <laughs> I've always been partial to the uh, Klingon's Bird of Prey. Oh, dude. I just love yeah. the way the shape yeah. of that thing is. I used to have a micro machine of that thing. Did you? It was like green and had the wings that came down mm-hmm. on the sides and the head. Yeah, that Micro thing machines cool. had some wicked toys. That was I used stuff. to have a ton. But yeah, it, with micro machines, I had a couple of the little cars, but I always went for like the spaceships oh, and stuff. Oh, yeah, ships yeah. and the military hardware. Oh, yeah, like, no yeah, one yeah. cared. Like, oh, it's a Camaro. Yeah, I could get a Hot Wheels car <laughs> you know, if I want. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, before there were hot or excuse me before there were micro machines there were these little like die cast airplanes you could get of like the blue angels or b-52 bomber those things were fun but if you left them on the floor and stepped on them man it messed (laughs) your foot up the the rest your wings two wings in the back oh yeah Yeah. oh yeah and they were sharp man yeah but anyway deviating um well i guess we should probably wrap that segment up right about there running about 20 minutes but yeah, there's a lot more to talk about with Star Trek than <laughs> yeah. I thought that I was. <laughs> Once it to. starts going, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's a good show. You it's a good series. Trek. Always yeah. Always some Trek. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to talk more next time you're on the show there, Raymond. Yeah, I'd love to. All right. We and could have that, a full trek episode. trek episode. I like yeah. that. Maybe we'll just call this trek episode. There we go. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that, let's jump into this week's comic dump bin. All right. Who would like to go first this week? I'll uh, I'll go first this time. Jake? I mean, yeah, let's, let's start you off. Right here, I have got Batman Deathblow after the fire. Now, the thing that really attracted me to this one, like right off the rip when I saw it on the shelf, is the art style is very crisp and shadow. It's it's very noir. It's got kind of a, a, a sharpness that's like it's approaching realism, um, and it's very dark and evocative. I think especially the faces um, have an excellent look to them. Lots of emotion. And um, it's it's definitely one of those Batman the detective type stories. Oh, he's not sweet. fighting an alien invasion. Yeah, and that's, to me, like, that's when he's at his best. Yeah. When you're seeing him use his brain instead of just punching dudes' faces inside out. Don't get me wrong. Love that, too. Yeah. <laughs> you just gotta sprinkle it in now and then. And uh, what's happening here is Batman is on the trail of the series of murders. People being burned to death. And the connection is this strange, um, they call it a death card in the comic book. It's just a white card with two vertical red stripes on the front. Now, he asks around. He knows a few people. This card brings him to an old, like, CIA wet work operative named Deathblow. You know, the titular Deathblow, who's been dead for, like, 15 years or something. And somehow his victims, his associates, his nemeses are all getting taken out. So Batman's on the trail of this person that's been gone for however long, and he's got to piece together what he left behind, what mission he botched, all of that. And it's um, so far, it's been a really great mix of like Bruce Wayne working the socialite angle to get closer to where the money's at, and Batman mm-hmm. doing the things Bruce Wayne cannot, which I always really like when you can get a good representation of that duality. Mm-hmm. Batman is a complete figure rather than just the face, just the costume. Sure. And uh, it's fantastic. He's on the trail of a pyrokinetic. This guy is, is starting fires with his mind, and boy, he's just an asshole. This is a terrible dude. <laughs> and there's this really great moment where Batman bumps into him at a party, and he has no idea who he is yet. And this guy, the pyrokinetic, he's got, like, the frosted-tipped hair and, like, the mm. brown leather jacket. Of course. And he's smoking with his shades on indoors. Bruce Wayne bumps into him, and <laughs> he looks right at Bruce. 
and he exhales his smoke right into Bruce's face and Bruce walks away he's like Jeez, what a jerk. <laughs> and something about hearing Batman or seeing Batman use that word jerk yeah. is such a strange, <laughs> powerless moment. Anyway, I'm I'm not doing it justice, but um it's dark, it's really gritty, the art, the art looks style. Awesome. Oh, it's fantastic. And if if you've ever read the uh, Joker series, it's by the same team, Azarello, Bromeo, Bradstreet. Um, everything about it so far has been fantastic, very compelling. Like reading a really solid crime novel. Plus Batman, which is a winning combination. Yeah, you can't right. beat that. So yeah, Batman, Death Blow, After the Fire. You have to let me read that when you're done. That Absolutely. looks awesome. All right. <clears throat> Who'd like to go next? Or I can go next. I'll go next. Okay. I've got Batman and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Good read. Yeah, it was. Seemed the weird combination at first. <laughs> I mean, Ghostbusters and Turtles seemed to fit a little bit better, maybe. Yeah, I wasn't big on that series as much as I am this one, though. Right. Like peanut butter and pickles. <laughs> <laughs> I was really, I love, really love the beginning of it. How it shows a, it was like a, a lab getting run out, overrun by a bunch of ninjas, and then there's just the word boxes that are explaining what was going on. Like someone was kind of narrating what happened, and then all of a sudden the light went dark, and she saw flashes of red, green, yellow, and orange. Oh yeah! And you hear, yeah, you just hear clanging of metal, excited. skin getting punched. And then at the very end, it's actually uh, one of the people that were in there kind of reporting what happened to Batman. And he's like, you got to find something. He's like, I'll find out. And then, what is it? Cuts over to, oh, it's like a little good homage to the movie. When there's oh. the pizza guys coming to deliver pizza. And it just <laughs> says, leave the money on there. Leave the pizza on the street. And then out of the manhole cover is Mikey and Raph sitting there getting going to get the pizza. And I wanted to know what how they ended up in Gotham. It didn't really get into that. I don't know if it gets an end, into it in the second issue I think it starts to reveal more, yeah, as the series goes. But I think only two issues are out thus far. Man, it's going slow. Yeah, it really is, yeah. Alfred, when they were, Batman was in the Batcave getting, trying to figure out where the next hit where the ninjas were going to be and where the ninjas were coming from, Alfred was giving him a lot of flack, too. It was kind of funny sitting there cracking up. Well, it was the anniversary of... I guess, an, oh, his anniversary was when his parents died. Oh, okay. Hey, and, happy anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a big to-do at Wayne Enterprises that Bruce was getting ready to go because he knew the ninjas were going to go hit that place. One thing I didn't like was the, the Batmobile. They took it very literally when they heard Batmobile. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like it at all. And good old yeah, Killer Croc knew what was going on, where Batman was going to be, so he was going to... I don't know. Do you think Batman has the fighting prowess to handle ninjas? Has he ever done that before? I mean... Oh, he can do it. That's a joke. He, <laughs> he eats ninjas for breakfast with no milk. What I am anxious to see from this series, and hopefully we see, I was talking to you guys about it before we started recording, is Batman take on Orokosaki, the Shredder. Yeah. yeah. What an There's a fight. awesome fight that would be, because Batman's pretty unstoppable, the Shredder's pretty unstoppable, and at the end of that book there, right there he That's is. That's where they face off, yep. Oh. Shredder just tells him to, to leave it alone, let it go, or else, and then it ends. That'd be a good fight. Of course Batman would win. But, oh, yeah. oh, man. But uh, I'd still like to see it play win. out. Yeah. But that's it. Batman and the Ninja Turtles. Cool. All right, Raymond, do you have a book you'd like to talk about? Yeah. Uh, James Bond on Dynamite, uh, written by uh, Warren Ellis and illustrated by Jason Masters. And uh, it's on issue four right now. And, uh, the, you know, the first issue kind of kind of harkens back, I think, to, to sort of classic Bond, 
Jason Masters illustrated the the Bond character. He kind of looks like Clive Owen. I don't know if you guys have read the book. I haven't. Um, no, I didn't even yeah, know it existed. To be mm-hmm. honest with you. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's on Dynamite. It's it's really a great read. I've read all four issues. The first issue starts off with Bond on foot, is in on a foot chase for like eight pages, and he just gets in this brutal fist fight with this guy like this on the streets of London. And they just get into this, you know, just just brutal fist fight. And I just thought the way he started the book was really cool, and, it, and that sort of captured me. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's V A R G R Varger, um, and he sort of dispatched to Helsinki to work in like one of the the, uh, the sections there, the the spy sections there. And, and then this sort of this guy is creating like this drug that's sort of taking over the streets. And so he, you know, the, the story's unfolding. It's about this, this drug, I think the name of the drug is Varger. Uh, it's a Norse the, mythological thing. It's like is some, that what it is? Some wolf, some really? god wolf. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of a classic Bond. It, it looks and in, in, in it's illustrated in the classic Bond feel. Like I said, I you know, and I, I, I thought it was funny because I know years ago, Clive Owen was sort of rumored to be a Bond candidate. And so I don't know if, if they drew him to look like that based on that but I, I find it to be really a classic bond and the story is just enthralling so i, I recommend it highly it's, it's if you like james bond and, and actually you know obviously science fiction is my first love but espionage <laughs> thrillers is my second love so i just i just love this book how many uh how long far along in the series is it issue four and i think issue five is coming out in a week or so so it's pretty new yet yeah we'll have to see if we can it, find it that. launched it launched in november of 2015 I always liked James Bond. Oh, yeah. He was pretty cool. Definitely. Bond is best when he's dealing with those, you know, the classic Bonds, you know, with all the right. suave and the gadgets that are high-tech for the time, but not exactly amazing now. <laughs> is he drawn to look like like the most recent James Bond? No, he's drawn to look Clive like Clive Owen. Owen. That's what he was. Oh, yeah, That's he a good that. fit yeah. to me. I yeah. can see Clive Owen pulling off a pretty decent Bond. That or, like, Rufus Sewell. Maybe he looks a little too intense, but it right. always comes to mind. Depending on who you ask, their you know, what's your favorite Bond? It always depends. Typically, what you know generation they grew up in, yeah. which Bond was more <laughs> yeah. prominent in their time. And in my time, it was the Don't Pierce, say it. Pierce Brosnan <laughs> man. And I was just gonna say in the nineties, though, sitting in the theater, that was one yeah. badass movie. All yeah. of them were. Yeah. I loved yeah. them, but they did not age well. But the games were strong. The games, the were Pierce very Brosnan strong. generation, gave us Goldeneye, the game Agent Under Fire. Definitely outlasted the movie, but and for um, good reason. But I mean, if you look back over the Bonding catalog, even those old ones have aged. Better than the Pierce Brosnan ones, I yeah. think. Oh, sure, yeah. you know. Who was the one the Roger Moore ones? I think some of the Roger Moore ones didn't age as well either. I think it was a View to a Kill. When I watched that recently, I, I was shocked at how bad the special effects were. <laughs> I love yeah, that movie. They, I mean, I watched that all the time. What year was, was that? <laughs> it was like '86. That 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 scene when Blowfield. I think it was Blowfield. Was like in the beginning. If I got the right movie. Um, and I think he somehow shot him out of an, a helicopter or something. It was just really, it was really bad. Uh, especially, <laughs> you know, back then it was great, but, oh, but sure. nowadays it's like, really, what was that? I mean, firecrackers <laughs> and a plastic <laughs> right. toy. Exactly. 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 Well, my son's going to lose a helicopter, but we got to finish this picture. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I recommend the Bond comic. Uh, like I say, the first issue starts off with like an eight page, eight page chase through the streets and they meet in this he, he corners the guy in like a field and they just have like a brutal a brutal bare knuckle fisted fight 
and that that just hooked me right away. I could definitely get behind that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, my offering this week is a little unconventional. I was cleaning the basement yesterday and digging through some old magazines and found a magazine with the cover ripped off. So I opened it up, and it's one of my old Nintendo Power magazines. Does anyone here remember Nintendo Power? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This issue is from 1993, November of 93, volume 54. So this is an old issue, but there's a few things about this issue that are uh, very cool. I know you and I have talked about it before. Um, well, like in any Nintendo Power magazine, on the first page you could always see like the fan art. That's one thing I always remember mm, going yeah. straight to, or like the envelopes people designed up, and just like every other issue that's right here. Long but, before Deviant Art ever existed. Oh yes, much much before. That I'm thinking, how did they put this in the cover? I could draw this way better. <laughs> this magazine was so freaking like just magical and just awesome when you were a kid. Thrill you know? on every page. When you weren't playing Nintendo, you were in this magazine. <laughs> um, but what makes this one special is. In the front, do you guys remember, what was it, Mega Man 5? Oh, Where yeah. you can design, there was a contest to design the two car- uh, bad guys. I didn't know yeah. they had a contest. Yeah, Nightman and uh, Windman. Well, this is the issue where they reveal the winners oh, wow. of those characters. So I thought that was kind of cool. Also, what else, what other games are in here? We have the Turtle Fighter game, the Tournament Fighter, which nice. was on... Uh, Regular NES, uh, the Jurassic Park for Super Nintendo's in here somewhere. But anyone who has read Nintendo Power remembered every month there was a one-page comic in there uh, from our friend Nestor called Nestor's Adventures. And Nestor was just this really uh, spindly kid with a very, very round, like Charlie Brown head and these orange hairs that kind of wisp way up, as you'll see right here. Looks very capable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. But Nestor's adventures always conveniently happened when a new uh, video game would come out. For instance, you know, if there was an, like Mario Brothers 3 would come out, Nestor's adventures would be Nestor inside Mario Brothers 3, you know, for a quick page of antics. Wow, that's extraordinary timing. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how they pulled that off. <laughs> well, this one here was when uh, Super Empire Strikes Back was coming out. Now, that takes you back. Mm-hmm. That's an old game. But uh, in this quick little comic here, we find Nestor, who uh, finds himself in the, what is it, the Ice Wampa, or the Ice, what was that thing called? Yeah, Ice Wampa. He, he and Luke are standing there looking at it. And I don't know if Luke decided to come back with this kid or something, but it's like they're standing there watching it come on, and Luke's like, okay, I'm going to show you how to take care of this thing. <laughs> you jump over his head, and then whack him in the face with the lightsaber. I, and I quote, whack him. Whack him. That's, that's what you do with a lightsaber. Wow. Yes. Wow. So you see Luke jump over, turn around, and do just that. Whack him in the head. And Nestor's in the back holding up little rating cards. I give you a three for uh, form and a five for, you know, whatever. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Very funny. But the thing's still alive. So the saber didn't kill him. He just, in fact, it's oh. like a nightstick or something oh, from, right. like, Futurama. Like that. You're not going to have some <laughs> horrid spray of gore and his head goes flying. <laughs> But then Nestor tries his hand and uh, messes it up and gets frozen inside a block of ice. Ha 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 ha, the comic's over. Nestor, when are you going to get it together? But, yeah, so th- that's as close to a comic. There's a Star Fox comic in here, but I was like, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> but I just had so much fun. This magazine right here shut down production in the middle of cleaning the, <laughs> the basement. I just sat right on the floor. Basement's just, clean, whatever. Yeah, dove in. So I thought I would share that this week. There was also trading cards that used to be in the back of these things, like little punch-out trading mm-hmm. cards of video game characters. 
Man, what a fun magazine that was. But anyway, Nintendo Power Magazine. Good stuff. May it rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. If if I may, I did have one another comic I want to talk to you about, and it's an indie comic. Sure. Called America's Kingdom, published uh, by um, Brian L. Hawkins. I don't know if you ever heard of it, but he just had a successful Kickstarter. So imagine if during the, the Revolutionary War, instead of us, you know, going, you know, building this country as a democracy, like some wanted, we decided to develop it as a uh, monarchy. And basically, George Washington's descendants in present day are st- still have hold of the throne. And you know, the, the book really details how America would change as a monarchy instead of a democracy. That's and a cool concept. He, wow. Yeah, yeah. He, he poses Benedict Arnold as sort of this rebellious, this rebel leader that's sort of rebelling against this monarchy and wants to sort of fight for a democracy. So he has all the historical characters sort of in their similar vein throughout the book. Uh, he just completed issue, I think he's just completed issue two, which I supported on Kickstarter. And it's just a really easy read. Um, so I highly suggest if you could have him on a podcast sometime, or at least just, I think he's on Comicology as well. So it's a great book, great, great concept. Cool. I got it written down. We'll have to reach out to him. Yeah. That sounds really neat. All right. Well, with that behind us, let's just turn our full attention right over to Raymond and talk about Earth Alliance. Thanks so much again for being with us today, Raymond. We're having a lot of fun. Yeah, I am too. Thanks for having me. Good. Good, good, good. So, um, again, congratulations on uh, your successful Kickstarter for issue two. And you still have a lot of time to go. <laughs> yeah. Hope to raise some more funds. <laughs> for the listeners who aren't aware of Earth Alliance, can you give them a quick uh, synopsis of Earth Alliance? Yeah, I mean, obviously we've been talking about my love of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. While this isn't a Star Trek comic, my, my love of political science fiction uh, is obviously present in this book. Mm-hmm. Earth Alliance is really a, a book about war, politics, and family dynamics, which I think those three components work well to tell a story. The book is set in the year 2190, and, you know, humanity is thriving, except for the fact that, like many of us predict, at some point we, we run out of fossil fuels. There, there are 10 nations on Earth that have advanced spaceflight capabilities. And so while we've explored space, we've discovered a substitute for fossil fuels called Illyrium. In the process of doing that, we discovered that other humanoid aliens, in this case, an alien race called the Kutari, similar on an evolutionary scale to humans, also covered Illyrium and have claimed some planets that house this, this, you know, this mineral Illyrium. That sets off a territory dispute, a Cold War, so to speak, which is really coming to a head at the, at the beginning of the book. And so, you know, I wanted to pose the question, how would humanity respond in the face of an awesome alien attack? Will we fight alone as separate nation states or will we form a coalition and alliance, hence the title of the book, Earth Alliance, to really deal with this issue? So that's the war, that's sort of the political piece. The family dynamics piece come from our main uh, protagonist, Thomas Ryan. Uh, we see him start out as a rebellious teenager. His father, Admiral Benjamin Ryan, is kind of a Colin Powell, a um, Dwight Eisenhower character, sort of a Joint Chiefs of Staff, a decorated military man, long military career, and his son really isn't, Thomas isn't really measuring up. So that causes a lot of conflict. Um, and through some some uh, some issues that I won't get into, but I don't want to give away too much of the story, Thomas has to join the, the military, reluctantly. And 
that that you know really uh, sets Thomas off. What I think over the next you know three to four issues will really set us off to understand his his what he's really about, and he'll go through a journey of self discovery that I think will be extraordinary. So that's sort of the, the genesis of it. How does humanity deal with an, with an, what I think is an overwhelming alien threat, uh, and really fight for its survival and its security? And the backstory is this sort of unique, sort of grounding family dynamic. That's very cool. And I got to say that um, reading Thomas, uh, you know, seeing that spoiled kid get his comeuppance kind of got me uh, excited. <laughs> I, 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 I liked fits watching the bill. <laughs> yeah, but like you said, you know, you, you can tell he's uh, destined for greater things, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what those are exactly. So you, the Kickstarter's still running, correct? Yeah, so yeah. So we're in, we're just today is week two. We just completed week one of the Kickstarter. We're funded in five days, um, and uh, so, we yeah, we're running. It runs to April 27th. Now, are you offering any kind of like stretch rewards? Yeah, so my, my primary artist illustrator designed a logo. If you think of all the, all of our military organizations have a patch that the officers wear on their uniforms. The Marines have a patch. Uh, the Army has a patch. So I had a patch designed, United uh, Earth Alliance Space Fleet patch that I'm going to that I'm offering as a stretch goal uh, that will be embroidered patches of that. For oh, one, if we cool. hit the, if we hit the next the next tier, which is two thousand dollars. Uh, everyone in all tiers will get one of these embroidered patches. Wow, and it, nice. it's sweet too. I've seen a picture of yeah, it, on it the, online. It looks really cool. I'd love to sell that to my bag. I'm a sucker for like military insignia, so that's that's. You would love it. It looks oh, cool. Loves me. We'll have to get patch. you guys one. We'll have to get you guys one. That'd be awesome. Oh hey, I'd be all about that. <laughs> so when do you uh, see issue two, or if, do you have any idea of when issue two might be available for the public? Yeah, July or August. Um, like to get it done sooner, but uh, looking at July or August time frame. You don't want to rush it out of the gate. You know, you want to make right. sure it's ready when it's ready. We're about a third. We're about a third away at a book right now, complete. Uh, I actually started lettering uh, some of the pages this today, as a matter of fact. That's awesome. So, do you guys uh, you get out to the con circuit at all? Do you take uh, Earth Alliance on the road at all? I have, but uh, more of a just talking about my my indie label, Future Entertainment. I, I really haven't uh, don't have enough uh, issues yet because I did take a two year absence uh, from creating comics. And uh, so once I build inventory issue one, two and three, definitely want to hit the con circuit hard. So my, my plan right now is just focus on getting books completed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have written a four issue story arc of Earth Alliance. Uh, once that's complete, I'd like to go to the cons with a trade as well as the individual issues and sale. I don't think you'll have any uh, trouble moving this book either. I mean, it's right up the con circuit's alley. Well, I appreciate that. That's good feedback. Thank you. I like how the story, uh, how everything gets set into motion. You're kind of mad at the way it happens, too. And it's the plausibility of the scenario. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I, I just yeah, like well, I watching that. him get his comeuppance more than anything. I loved it. I wanted to write a story that one of the reviewers said, he actually said he, this felt like us uh, 150 years from now or whatever. So that was like the, the greatest compliment because that was one thing I wanted to write was like my vision of the future, how I felt humanity would be living in that time. And, right. for, you know, for one of the reviews of a comic book movie, it certainly seemed to, to hit a chord. You could certainly so see seven different groups or a bunch of different groups getting together just to do their own thing. Oh sure, yeah. You know, just a, it's an alliance of convenience, and yeah. as soon as it's advantageous for like uh, what Russia gets mentioned, like they're going rogue. 
yeah. probably before any other <laughs> nation. But, you know, one of the things I, I think, this is a personal opinion, science fiction is only as good as the world that it implies. What you're outright told can be interesting, but the thing that makes great sci-fi for me is seeing the little touches that maybe don't get talked about, don't mm -hmm. get brought into mm -hmm. light, and your mind wanders, like, how did that come to be? What cultural element? What events set this into sure. motion? And I think this book is replete with that, start to finish. You see these little glimpses, even just the places they're having meetings, the, the parlance they're using, especially the Qatari meeting chamber. You get a feel for, for what the world is like, even when you're not looking directly at it, and that's something that really does it for me in science fiction that's really cool well, i appreciate that thank you and, and i wanted to start I, I you know i could have started writing the battle scenes and all that but i i wanted to start with the qatari and to show the run up to war on both sides so the qatari obviously debating it much like humanity debates war they're aliens but they debate in a very human way right right and then we show Jonas Summers, this sort of Donald Trump character, right? <laughs> um, that that is sort of you know, I'm not gonna, I don't want to go too much to give the story away, but he's obviously having a meeting with the president and sort of trying to inflict his will, and so, you know, all of all of those elements are very real to the way we live today, but I show them through the aliens and I also show them through through humanity. So it, it's been a joy to write that. Uh, it's a balance. It's not easy, but I appreciate your feedback on it. I'm glad it's coming through. It absolutely is. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's not too late for uh, people to back the project. We'll have links on our uh, website, but yeah. yeah, check it out on Kickstarter. And uh, is there a link on uh, Future Earth Entertainment as well? Yes, it is. There, I have a, it's www.futureearthent.com. And then you could like us on Facebook as well. There's an Earth Alliance Facebook page, and there's a Future Earth Facebook page as well. And you guys have a presence on Twitter, too, don't you? Yes, we do. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. There you go. At Twitter, we're, Twitter, we're Sci-Fi Writer 1. Sci-Fi Writer 1. I'll have to, I don't know if we've got that one, do we? I don't know if we do or not. Yeah. We'll have to put that in there. <clears throat> well, many uh, different places for you to check out uh, Raymond's uh, Earth Alliance. So, R Raymond, thanks so much for being with us. Best of luck, though you don't uh, really need it, it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Jack the more the merrier, because I have other titles that I want to get into development as well. So. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, hey, I'm actually, hey. I'm actually in, in production on another book title as we speak. Anything you can uh, divulge on? As I mentioned earlier, my second favorite genre is, is espionage. Yeah. So this is a sci-fi espionage thriller that has, it, it's, I would say it's a, it's, a, it's a James Bond, it has elements of, of Star Trek in it, because I, I don't know if I could ever veer too far away from Star Trek. I probably <laughs> should, right? uh, but it, this has more of a uh, James Bond feel to it. It's more one man versus, you know, uh, a crew. And uh, I think folks will like it. It's unique. I think it's a lot more unique than and, uh, an Earth Alliance, quite frankly. Uh, but hopefully we should start seeing some images that I can start sharing with folks here pretty quick. Awesome. Yeah, let us know. Uh, we'll get you back on the show. We can talk about it. We can help you push, uh, push it out there. Absolutely. And I appreciate but, that. I appreciate that. It's been, been fun. Good, man. We'll definitely have you back then. I, I look forward to it. Jack, what we got on the website? Go to CandairPodcast.com where you can see show highlights, guest info, listen to the show, follow us on all our social media. Go to the Hall of Heroes and visit the Wall of Justice. 
Check out videos from our YouTube page. And if you'd like to be a guest and promote your work, send us an email on our contact page. Don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandairPod and on Instagram at Can underscore Air. Uh, we're going to be at the SpaceCon here in Columbus this coming April 9th and 10th, Saturday yep. and Sunday, right? Yep. And we are at table E1. You cannot miss us. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. Cannot miss us. You will probably trip over us at You some don't point. have a choice. <laughs> so stop by, say hi. We'd love to talk to you, uh, see what your opinions are of the show. Check out some of the awesome stuff we'll be selling there. Uh, what else, Jack? Am I forgetting something? Check out a bunch of the other podcasts on Con Radio, but listen yes. to us first. I stole that from Game Fix. Sorry, guys. <laughs> That's their little thing. And also, congratulations to Chad C. for the Deadpool, Candare Deadpool giveaway. Oh, yes. Congrats, Chad. It was a t-shirt and a figure and a... T-shirt and a figure and a little mini, mystery mini bobblehead. A lifetime supply of chimichangas. Yeah. That, that, that's a good prize, I think. That's okay. a heck of a good prize. Good awesome. Well, congrats, Chad. And I think that's going to do it for this week. So until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Jake Runyon. And I'm Raymond Fields. Thanks for listening, everyone. see this movie but wait timmy's blind but what am i supposed to do why not try a podcast spirit spirit all the comic and pop culture entertainment you could want in the canned air podcast finally a form of entertainment not fully reliant on visual stimulation now we know and knowing is half the battle gi Did it make it that many? I thought it was only went to one season. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.